Hello and welcome to Everyday Sublime. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm glad you're here. Okay, in today's episode, I will be sharing part one of a three-part series of a conversation with the yin yoga teacher, Stephanie Arend. Stephanie is an old yin yoga friend of mine, and I'm delighted to have her on the podcast to discuss her new book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga. Before we jump into that episode, I just want to let you know that last year I compiled a series of reflections that serve as an overview to the essential themes of yin yoga. This series is based on many of the most common questions I receive from students in my training programs. This series is free to all new subscribers. So to receive this, just go to joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. That's joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. And as a bonus, you will get access to two practice videos, one sequence that focuses on the spine and one for the hips. The feedback on this series has been terrific, and it's my aim in 2020 to create more series like this to continue to support your practice and teaching. Now, today on the podcast, Stephanie Arend and I will focus on her personal journey to yin yoga and look specifically at how yin yoga facilitates self-healing and the balancing of one's chi. Now, without further ado... I now bring you Stephanie Arend. Okay, today I am with Stephanie Arend. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to hear you and see you. Um, so as a bit of background, uh, you are a yin yoga teacher based in Germany, and I thought it would be good for the audience to hear just a little bit more about your history and how you came to yin yoga and how you came to be this a, a producer of many books on the topic. You have many books, I think, in German on yin yoga, and you've recently written a new book called Be Healthy with Yin Yoga, which I think is your first book in English, if I'm not mistaken. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we'll be, in the course of this talk, or this interview, we will be looking at the contents of that interesting new book. Um, but maybe just start with your background. Like, how did you get into yin and, and how did that develop? I did not get into yin yoga right away. It took me quite a few years to discover it. <laughs> I had a whole bunch of young yoga um, teacher trainings, which I did before, but it wasn't complete for me. I always felt like the need there was a need to keep on looking for something else. It was something was missing. An important part of the puzzle was missing, and I didn't know what it was. So I just kept on doing the next training and the next training. And um, one of the topics I always loved very much was anatomy. And then I watched Paul Grilly's anatomy DVD many years ago. And I was so um, hooked by that teacher. I thought, gosh, who is that? Why um, have I never heard of him before? And then I checked the DVD. And on the background, it said for credits, yin yoga. I had no idea what yin yoga was. So I ordered his DVD, and then I had my first yin yoga class with Paul Grilly on DVD. (laughs) And then I knew what I was looking for. And um, just a little bit later, I was in his teacher training, and I I thought, okay, this is what I was looking for all these years. And then I really felt peace in my yoga journey for the first time, really. Mm. 
So that if 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 the, if Paul's DVDs were your introduction, that must. I'm just going to do a little historical forensics here. That must put you in the year around like the late '90s, early 2000s, because back then that was about the, the only resource available on the topic. I think it was early 2000 something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you found it. It felt like it was sort of uh, you felt like you were coming home, or the the, the piece you were looking mm-hmm. for was finally found. Um, what were the other styles of yoga you had been playing with or working with? I did um, classical Hatha yoga, Ashtanga yoga, Kundalini, Vinyasa. I did basically everything. Uh-huh. Great. Um, so you've, you've also published a number of books um, on yin yoga, but also using yin yoga with some other modalities. Like I know there's one on fascial release or ball with ball rolling, I think. Mm-hmm. What, 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 give me a sense of um, the various things you've put together or put out there. My very first book was um, a book just about yin yoga, and I didn't even intend it to, um, to be a book. It was actually my notes from the first teacher training I had with um, with Paul. And I just thought on the, um, the last day of the teacher training, when I woke up in my bed, I thought, oh, gosh, I have to write all of this down. I do not want to forget anything of what he said. And then I wrote everything down, and uh, a few months later, I thought this looks actually like a book. So I sent it off to a publisher, and they said, okay, we never heard of yin yoga, nobody knows what that is here, but we'll give it a try. And then it became a classic in the yoga world in Germany. Mm. And then I had the next one, and the next one I had one on um, yeah, yin yoga and fascia, one on detox, which also has yang yoga in it, and also yin, and um, then what else? I have six by now, and then two smaller ones. One is about um, different kinds of Surya Namaskar, the sun salutation. Mm. And one is um, about hotel room yoga, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was also an idea I had because I was once on vacation and I had a super tiny um, hotel room and there was no room for my yoga mat, so I had to improvise. How can I do my my um, poses in here so that's actually kind of a fun book it's (laughs) not that serious (laughs) great you know uh, as you're talking something that occurred to me and that I just wanted to see what you thought about this Um, you teach in Germany a lot and and around Europe I think Uh, but my experience when I go to Europe is that for a while at least for a number of years um, the interest in yin yoga seems stronger in in central europe or in, in around in around germany than it does in some other parts and particularly even in the united states in in, in some of the big center uh, cities and i just wondered if you had that sense too did you do you feel like there's more enthusiasm and interest in yin yoga in and around germany and if so why i think so too that it is pretty big here and I also didn't intend once again to do any teacher trainings. But once my first book came out, I had so many people call me and said, can you teach me? Can you teach me how to do that? And that's how the idea came up of doing teacher trainings. And then all of a sudden they were all sold out and I couldn't even get them all into my schedule anymore. And it got more and more. And um it just got super popular in Germany, and I think the books and the, I also made three DVDs. They really helped to mm. make it popular, 
But I think it's just that people realize that they need to get back to the roots because everybody seems so stressed out these days. And, you know, uh, can just be a wonderful tool to ground yourself again, to calm yourself again. And I think a lot of people are ready to realize that again. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that leads, of course, into your new book, um, dealing with this sort of pervasive culture of burnout and, and stress and all the factors that drive and, and kind of ramp up the the difficulty of those conditions and how yin yoga can be a very helpful antidote to many of these these um, modern il- ailments that we face um so in your book be healthy with yin yoga there's a chapter where you talk about how yin yoga can help activate self-healing and i thought that would be a good thing to to open up here and just talk about how do you see uh, yin yoga being an instrumental uh, tool for uh, for for initiating and, and helping along a, a process of self-healing? I think it can help on different levels. For once, we know that the healing um, takes place when we are in a, uh, in a state of calmness. Then um, if we're always busy, we can there cannot um, be any healing. We know that by now. And um, I also had uh, an experience I had many, many years ago. I was in, in high school then, and I got glasses. And um, that was not really a big deal, but I got new glasses every year because my eyesight worsened every year. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I had my driving license, I realized that I obviously couldn't drive at night because my eyes were so bad. But I thought everybody had a bad eyesight at night. <laughs> but the other people in the car could see it, but I couldn't. And um, then I went to have my um, eyes checked. And the doctor said, well, you're totally night blind. You cannot drive a car when it's dark. And I asked him, okay, what can I do then? And he said, nothing. You just have to accept that. And um, I didn't accept his answer, so I kept on looking. And then I had my first contact with traditional Chinese medicine. And um, the doctor did acupuncture on me every week, and uh, she focused on my liver. She explained to me, okay, you have a weakness here in the liver, and we uh, will focus on that. And my eyes did not get worse anymore. Like, like I just said, I had new glasses every year, and for the first time, they did not worsen anymore. And then when I understood the principles of yin yoga, I thought, okay, if she's focusing on my liver, then I can do the same with my poses. And then I did a liver and gallbladder sequence every day for about two years. And then my eyes got better. And now I'm not night blind anymore. Wow. So, so <laughs> it actually reversed. Yeah. I don't have glasses anymore. I'm not wearing contacts. Uh, I do still have some for, um, for driving the car, but not in my everyday life. And um, I still have to concentrate and focus when I drive at night. It's um, not like 100% great, but um, from nothing at all to, uh, to what, where I'm at now, that is such an awesome improvement. And I'm way older now, and usually our eyes get worse when we age. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's the first time I experienced that on myself. Mm. But it took quite a bit of time. It's not like um, 
I'm going to do a liver sequence once or twice and then I can throw away my glasses. <laughs> right. It's not like that. It took a couple of years before I saw the first results. So I definitely want to get into talking about how yin yoga influences the channels of Chinese medicine, which you're, you're, you're applying some of that theory in terms of doing a liver gallbladder sequence for to benefit your eyesight. I want to get into that and, and uh, unpack how, to th how we can think about that. But what, 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 other, what other ways do you see that, um, this, the, how is the self-healing activated by the yin practice specifically? Uh, to make it really, to, to say it very easily, there, you can have too much qi or you can have too little qi, and the yin practice can balance either or it can balance both um, to make it really, to, to, don't, um, to not go into detail that much, but if you have an excess of qi, you can um, balance it, and if you have too little qi, you can also balance it by doing the practice, very similar to an acupuncture um, session. Mm -hmm. And if you keep on doing that on a regular basis, you will um, see improvements on different levels. So, and with qi, just for folks that may not be familiar with that word or totally up to speed on that word, qi is a, a term from Chinese that can translate variously as spirit or life force or vital energy. It's the kind of an immaterial vital energy that activates all material aspects of our being and mental emotional aspects of our being um, and as you're saying it could be either in a state of deficiency or a state of excess or a state of stagnation and uh, the question you know the follow-up question to what you just said is then well how does the yin yoga practice balance one's chi and I have theories around that but I really I'm always interested in how other people conceptualize that and then articulate how the practice um, does provide this balancing effect on one's chi, state of chi. Yeah, I guess one very important factor is the physical level and the fascia. When our fascia is stuck and um, uh, the meridians also flow through the fascia, then you can imagine that the chi cannot really flow through the meridians that well anymore. But if the fascia gets uh, unstuck again and supple again, then the, the fluid can also be transported throughout the body way better mm -hmm. than uh, when we have the, um, the fascia, which is stuck in a lot of people. And that can also lead to pain. And a lot of people make that experience when they do the practice that they um, feel less pain after the practice. And I believe that one really important part of that is um, the, the fascia, which we focus on in the practice. Yeah, and, and with fascia, like, or specifically stuck fascia, can, in your assessment, what, what, what's going on when the fascia is quote-unquote stuck? Yeah, this, this is once again said very simple. <laughs> Um, but you can imagine um, that the fascia sh should contain a lot of liquid, a lot of fluid. And the older we get, the more we lose of that fluid. And then the fascia strings um, can also uh, be stuck together. Um, I'm, I'm missing the word now in English, what it's called. I, I, I think you're meaning, I, like, I'm going to answer for you and see if this is the word you're looking for. <laughs> cross, mm -hmm. You're talking about cross-linking, I think. Cross-links, yeah, where, exactly. Where the, the fibers, the collagen fibers become 
uh, excessively sort of stuck to each other and and late exactly. and, and, and not in the best arrangement in relationship to each other so yes thank yeah. you yeah no problem <laughs> that's what i was looking for <laughs> yes and the more crosslinks we have um the more painful it can get and then the less um the energy can get uh transported throughout the whole system yeah and this is i mean this is uh i like the way you said that um but this is a sort of even in chinese medicine this is where we're kind of speculating around is there a biological basis for chi? You know, it, it, where it, if there is chi, where is it flowing, and, and by what means is it is it moving through the body? And it does seem like there's a there's a growing body of people and some body of evidence supporting this idea. It's not totally proven, but it's supporting this idea that uh, the channels or meridians are found within. Or between planes of fascia, and between those planes of fascia, there is uh, these these channels with fluid that flow, and that the chi is part of that that fluid flow within those um, spaces. Um, so, right, if the if the fibers themselves are excessively crossed, like that's like I would say that's like a pile like, or a blockade on the highway that's causing mm-hmm. the cars, the chi of the, of the moving cars to, to, to sort of get into a, a traffic jam and, and build up and get clogged. Um, so the idea is that the, the yin practice could stress the fascia, A, by stressing the collagen and helping the collagen reorganize and, and be uh, better aligned to uh, support movement, but also to support this, this flow of fluid and and as Dan Keown, whom I know you know, Dan Keown would say it's a bioelectricity that then can kind of course through the fluid um, and and be unblocked or unimpeded. Does that sound right from your yeah, side? Yeah, that's absolutely, exactly right. And also scar tissue can be an issue. Uh, when you have scar tissue, then that's a very intense form uh, of the stuck fascia there. And you can also break that up again with the yin practice. A lot of people feel so much better when they had uh, a lot of surgery and they slowly start to stretch the areas again. And they can feel, I personally can feel it uh, when I feel the energy flow in my body um, because I also have scar tissue. I, um, I could feel how it broke up again and things started moving again in that area. Yeah, actually, I, you know, you me- glad you mentioned that because... You write about it in the beginning of the book. There's an anecdote about, I think you had some kind of stomach surgery or abdominal mm-hmm. surgery. And then yes. you describe feeling after the surgery that you're kind of cut off in that area or that there was a certain numbness. And I relate to this because I had uh, an inguinal hernial repair in my early 20s. It's like lower abdominal surgery. And mm-hmm. um, they weren't doing it laparoscopically then. They did this pretty big incision uh, and that area did feel cut cut off and kind of dead and numb in a way. And and then the way you described it was, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you either through poses or working with a, a ball worker or doing myofascial release on it with a ball, you could f- feel the kind of a, the, the, the kind of the, a, a strong sensation when you were stressing it, right? <laughs> but then afterwards there was kind of a a rush of Blood, blood flow sensation or energy coming, warmth coming into the area. Is that yes, what? for sure. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. 
Yes, I started doing my stretches very soon after my surgery, already on the fifth day. I wouldn't have done that but, um, if I hadn't heard about the studies of Helen Langevin. Yeah. But um, I knew by then that she had studies that uh, gentle, super soft stretches for about 10 minutes can speed up the recovery of wound healing. And that's what I did. And um, when everything got removed, when I got uh, back into the hospital and the doctor looked at my scar, he said, wow, that looks amazing after two weeks. And um, it did. And um, then I just kept on doing it. And the scars look really, really nice now. That's interesting. Because one of the questions that I get, and I'm not always sure how to, the best way to answer this, but you know, s someone might say after an injury, in this case, after a surgery, how soon can you start to stress or stimulate the area with a, a yin type of stretch? Um, and, you know, conventional wisdom says you sort of have to let things heal up. And that can take about four weeks or six, four to six weeks. But then you need to let that at that point, you can then start to do an intervention. Um, but you're saying that you did it right, almost right immediately. I did it on the fifth day, fifth but, day. Um, but my, my practice looked completely different. Usually it's, for example, not an issue for me to do saddle pose on the floor, but um, I needed two or three bolsters yeah. uh, when I did that again for the first time. I, there was no way of getting down because yeah. that would have pulled on the scar too much. Right. It was just a very, very, very gentle stretch, and that was enough. Yeah. And I also needed somebody to help me to get out again. Yeah. <laughs> so please don't underestimate that. But from there, I could um, could do more and more. Yeah. Well, I think actually in, in, in what you just said, I think there's a, a, a very important piece of advice that I think would apply globally for most yin yoga teachers. Um, and I know as you're a t teacher trainer too, one of the common questions we, we get in trainings is a, a teacher who says, well, I, if I have a student comes in with X, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and they, they, they want they usually want some very specific answer for the specific condition, which the more I've been thinking about it and also I've been uh, appreciating the way Bernie Clark thinks about this. But it's the basic idea that as yin yoga or as yoga teachers in general, we cannot be responsible for every single pathology or condition under the sun. We would have, we would know more than a doctor, a chiropractor, a nurse practitioner, or a physical therapist combined. So uh, it's not so much that we're going to be able to give a very specific answer, but in the, what you just said, where you went at very, very gentle stretch, which my guess is probably at a lower sensation level than your normal, the kind of stresses you'd place on your healthy tissue, right? Mm -hmm, you're, yes, you're absolutely. You're, so you're, you're coming into an edge that's very, very conservative, just sort of, a, I don't know, if, do you want to place that on a sensation scale? If you're, What's your normal range of sensation in a yin pose, and what's the kind of sensation that you were allowing for when you were uh, just post-operative? Um, if it's usually an eight, then maybe it was a two or a three. You go up to an eight in your poses? Um, well, in some poses. There are some poses where I don't feel any stretch anymore at all. 
Yeah. I can I can also use props to make it more difficult, but it's, it's it feels like it's stretched out. <laughs> um, I don't feel any anything anymore. But then there are also some poses where I feel it pretty intensely. I have two um, different scoliosis in my in my back, and when I do side bends, for example, I can feel that pretty intensely. Mm. And then on the side where um where the scoliosis is, there are also go up to an eight. Wow. That seems high, but and this is what I say too. Like what your high might be, like my your your eight might be my four or something like that. So mm -hmm. this the, the this sensation scales are always relative and need to be treated that way. Um, but uh, I do think that the, the point I was trying to make sure I just want to make sure I reiterate this so people hear it is that when working with a condition, whatever that condition may be to err on the side of being very, very conservative and just see at that super gentle edge how the person responds and, and, and gradually develop from there, but don't go too intense too quickly. Definitely. That's also what I always say when people ask me that. If there are 10 people in the room, you have 10 different answers. You cannot give a general answer to that. And if somebody asks, okay, when can I start doing that? When I had a cesarean cut, for example, I would definitely not say do it on the fifth day. Yeah. Then I would uh, better be safe than sorry and say wait for at least six weeks. Yeah. And then see what it feels like to you. Right. What does it do? What does it do to your body? Pause the conversation with Stephanie there, and in the next episode, she and I will explore how she approaches influencing the channel system of Chinese medicine. We talk about yin yoga's effects on the channels, as well as specific practices of meridian massages that Stephanie incorporates in her book. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can support the podcast by sharing an episode or two with a friend or through your social media channels. You can also pick up a copy of Stephanie's book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga, and there's a link for that in the show notes. And finally, as a parting reminder, if you'd like to receive your free access to my Essentials of Yin Yoga program, just head over to my website, www.joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe, sign up for my newsletter, and good things will start to flow your way. So thanks so much again for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode.